You're facing trials, tribulations, temptations, and there is no solid foundation. You don't know how to defend yourself. There's no one to call on in your mind. And immediately everything around you seems to just fall apart. As I look into people's eyes, they do not know the rock. They do not know that he is the one who can take you through this storm, this trial. People are swept away by the storms that they face. Over these past four years, I have faced many storms. That song from Casting Crowns helped me a lot to think about that. When Peter was going through those storms, I mean, stepping out of the boat in that storm, Jesus was calling him, come to me. He had the faith. He stepped out. He was going to walk on water. But then he looked around at his circumstances. He looked at the, the waves. And he allowed all of that to get to him and he sank. But who saved him? In the midst of that storm, Jesus put his hand down there and pulled him out. When I was facing these decisions, and, and it does feel like a storm in our lives sometimes as believers. We're struggling, but we have to believe that Jesus' hand is going to come through and pull you through it. He's my rock. Look what Jude says. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. In the, in the Message Bible, it says this of Job chapter 12, verse 13. True wisdom and real power belong to God. From Him we learn how to live. And also, what to live for. Isn't that great? True wisdom and real power belong to God. From Him we learn how to live and also what to live for. Do you remember last week I said when I spoke to my mom, she said to share with you what the word Bible stands for. Basic instructions before leaving earth. This is our instruction manual. Our teacher is in here teaching us. But he's like my son has to do his assignments. He has to do his homework. He has to study and then produce something from that study. There is only one who can direct your life. There is only one who can guide you down this narrow path to get you into that narrow gate. He's the only one who can take you down that path. He's the only one who can help you fulfill your purpose here on earth. He is the only one that can help you with your calling. There are two gates, two ways, two destinations there. And two groups. Two groups are illustrated here. The choice every person faces between heaven and hell. Between salvation and damnation. Between the only true religion and the false one that comes in many forms today. The word of God tells us who the teacher is. Luke tells us it's Jesus Christ. We should be looking deep into this. Deep into what he has said here. Because he is commanding it. He's showing principles, but he is telling you to live this way. Change, apply it to your life. Look deep, study it, and then live it out. Let's look with me at, uh, at what God's Word says in Luke chapter 6, verses 39 and 49. We'll break them up verse by verse. Verse 39, and he said also, 
spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man. Can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? Think about what he's saying here. Who's guiding you? Are you following the right guide? During Jesus' walk on earth, he spoke many times in parables. We looked at that word earlier in Luke. What is a parable? Jesus, as it were, stands where his hearers are. He uses imagery familiar, familiar to what they are seeing and being a part of to bring a new and unfamiliar insight to them. A double meaning, a story that people can relate to, an illustration, a moral truth, a principle. He's finding a way to get it to you, to do it. Helping them see a new way to live is what he's trying to do here. Blindness is used metaphorically in the both the Old Testament and New to describe being void of truth and lacking spiritual insight. The principle is obvious. Those who follow leaders who do not know the way to God's kingdom will never get there. Instead, they will fall into the pit of hell. And we know that Jesus was looking at the spiritual leaders of Israel at this time, and the Pharisees and the scribes that were also following him around, trying to trip him up. But we, we have discernment. We have understanding. We have knowledge and wisdom. If you lack any of these, ask and you shall receive. We have wisdom to live the kingdom way so that we do not lead any people along the wrong path. Which leads to hell. We have the word of God and we are to live it out. People need to see our lives. Our lives gives direction. The way we're living. The way we're thinking. The way we do things. It leads people to follow you down that narrow path. To that narrow gate. Remember Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This teacher we need to follow. What he says we need to do. He also says, Jesus said, the light of the world, and if we follow him, we'll not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. In Ephesians it says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. And in chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I couldn't believe I had not seen this before. This week it really just stood out. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. The teacher is teaching you. My son's listening to his teacher. And he's coming home and doing his homework. He is learning and he's changing his life to live that way. Jesus goes on to say in verse 40, if you follow along with me there, it says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has, fully, has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Basically it's saying, as I looked into this, a teacher cannot impart knowledge that he or she does not possess. The errors will inevitably be mirrored in their students, like the Pharisees and scribes. Even Paul was caught up in believing what these men were teaching. 
Since false teachers neither come from God nor know the way to God, they cannot guide people to Jesus. In these times, students followed their teachers. They lived with their teachers. They spent time wherever the teacher went, they went. They followed the instructions. They looked at how the teacher handles life, the challenges of life. They were gaining practical experience by following him. It was just not theoretical. And about three or four years ago, when I came here and met Pastor Jake, I asked him if he still had it in him to invest in one more man and mentor me. And he said, what does that look like to you? What do you want to do? I said, I want to follow you. I want to see how you live. Wherever you go, I want to go. It's one thing reading about all of this in the book and trying to understand it, but he's been down this path, down this narrow path for so long. I want to do see what he has seen, what he has applied to his life. But my pastor is very wise. He said, I'll come back to you on that answer. <laughs> and he took a long time. Some months went by and I thought, ooh, I must not be uh, that kind of guy that he would invest in. But he was taking time in prayer and thinking about what that responsibility looked like for him. And I remember him coming in when I eventually went to him and said, uh, is there anything wrong? Why are you haven't said yes or no about mentoring me. He said, the problem is, if I start telling you to do this and that, you're just going to do it. And if I'm in any way wrong, I carry that responsibility. So far, my pastor has been leading me in the most amazing ways, encouraging me. He's right on the narrow path. He's a good mentor to follow. But it made me think about what, we were say, what he's saying here about these other teachers See, we need to be following this teacher in the Word of God. We need to listen carefully to what he's saying and those that he's teaching as well. But use your discernment. Now, those that follow Jesus will become like him. You will mirror him in the way that you live. And people will want to follow you. Verse 41 really depicts false teachers and hypocrites. Oops. Can you fix the slides there for me? It says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log? I love this imagery Linda found there for me with this guy. I was going to bring a log here. Look what, how Jesus uses these words to make you think about who do you think you are? Where are you at before you start getting there? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This illustrates a serious issue. And some years back when I worked with my older brother in the hotel, he had an office just to the right of mine. We had this little window which could talk to each other through at the reception. And I used I was so, I love my older brother. He's six years older than me, but you wouldn't see it in the way we hanged out together. But he was down a dark path, a wide path. It was, it was full of destruction. Wherever he went, he broke things. And I just didn't know how to get to him. I was really struggling. I wanted him to know about Jesus. I wanted to tell him about what the Word of God was saying. But you know, he had such an influence on me. I'd go down that wide path because it was a lot of fun with him. But that didn't, it kept making me think about this. I got a big log in my own eye. 
I'm still trying to figure out things. So as I prayed about it, the Lord just kept guiding me to make my life right. Focus on my commands. Focus on my principles. You change. Change your ways. Change your attitude. Live like I'm telling you to live. And so I did. I still prayed for him. But I started to focus on my personal relationship with Christ. My walk. And it sometime passed. He looked at me one day through that window and he said, How come your life is so perfect and mine is a mess? Wow. And his eyes were full of tears. I said to my brother, well, my life is nowhere near perfect, and you know me well, but I've got to tell you what I am learning in this book and what God has done since I accepted him as my Savior. And then my opportunity was open, and he was willing for me to pull out those specks in his eye. Think about what Jesus is saying here. How are we living out our life first before others? The spiritual leaders at this time presumed they were able to provide others with answers to life, but they did not understand the truth whatsoever. And they didn't even know Jesus was standing before them either. They had a huge log in their eye, but they were picking on the people. The blind leading the blind. They were blinded with massive sins in their lives as well. They had no right to deal with the lesser sins of others. Take the log out of your own eye and you will see clearly to help others. Jesus is the only one, it says, who was sinless. The scriptures tell us also that he also was spotless, undefiled, one whom the Father was well pleased. Jesus has better vision than 2020. His vision allows us, him to see our sins. You can't hide anything from him. Jesus really hammering home the importance of knowing the truth here. The word of God and living out his commands and principles. Take a look with me at verses 43 and 44. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do pick grapes from a briar bush. Think about what he's saying here. What does it mean to you? For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. At that dinner for eight, I shared before what the doers shared with me of meeting Pastor Jake coming into the store and he needed to sort out something which was difficult. But again, I can't get over that comment. He said, before I leave here, I want to make sure what we've done here, you see Jesus in me. It was important to him. For each tree is known by its fruit. You see in this slide here, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Can you tick every box of those? When I read this, I thought about it. How can I get this? How do I get it and how do I change? What do I do? So I wrote them out on a 3 by 5 card. And then started asking myself the question, can I love those who don't look that lovable? Am I joyful or am I grumpy? Do I have peace in my heart? Am I peaceful around people? 
Am I patient? Am I kind to those around me? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One time in a meeting, this guy would always come late over and over and over again. And I lost self-control. When next time he walked in, I gave it to him. I really let out my disappointment, my frustration, the annoyance he was creating in me. And after the meeting, I headed off in my car. And the Lord pointed that out to me. Well, there was a lot of self-control there. You need to phone him and ask him for forgiveness. And I rationalized that. Why should I ask him for forgiveness? I've told him over and over for months. This is the time we start the meeting. You need to be here on time. There was silence. My conscience was nudging me. Make the call. So I phoned him and I said to him, you know what, I, I need to ask you to forgive me. I am terribly sorry I lost it there in the office in front of everyone. Please forgive me. And his response was, no, 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 no. You don't have to ask for that. I need to ask you for forgiveness. I am really sorry about that. You know what, he never made a meeting late again. It was always early on time. The other thing I did with these is ask my family. Ask your children, your family, your friends. They can see how you're living. They can see by the, the way you do things. And that's another indicator to show what you need to bring to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I am not patient. Please help me with patience or whatever is missing. Kindness, goodness. My sons sometimes say, Dad, when you get on a roll, you get excited. You'd be a bit patient. Okay? Lord, I need patience. See, there's no facade here. It's one or the other. What are you producing? What a tree produces indicates the tree's health. And taking the image from there, Jesus is saying, each tree is known by its fruit, and men known men know where to go to get some help. And that's from you. This reminded me with this tree here. You see that the base of the tree is just a little round circle around the base of it. And in Africa, this friend of mine, he grew oranges, and I mean huge oranges like this. Not the ones you see in the stores like that. His oranges were massive. And as I spent time with him asking, well, how, did, how do your trees grow such huge oranges? And he said, well, I spent, when I go down the orchard there looking at my trees, wondering why I only get that little orange. Why are they producing, like every other tree around here, small little oranges? How do we get them bigger? And he said he looked at the foundation of the tree. The tree went down into the ground. How, how does it support its canopy? So he started clearing the ground around the tree to the width of the canopy. And then the canopy grew. So he cleared around more. And he started to think, well, those roots must be challenged by other things, grass, anything else that's fighting for water. So how do the roots spread if they're in entanglement fighting? So he started to clear around, giving those roots more room to grow, nothing to challenge them with. That foundation was getting bigger and stronger. That canopy could get bigger because the roots and the foundation could hold it. And his oranges grew huge. And I mean, they were delicious. You took a scaphy out of there and bit it. You had to suck in air at the same time and pull in all the juice. They were fantastic oranges. So what does your foundation look like? Bad trees are false teachers. Matthew's gospel parallels that in chapter 12, verse 34. He says, you, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which is, that fills the heart. Think about what you're saying, how you're living. J. 
Jesus goes on to say in Luke, look with me at verse 45, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man what out of evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from what his heart is filled with. And this captures the application here. Just as trees produce fruit in keeping with their nature, so do we. It's in your nature, as you change to live out Christ, you start to produce fruit. What is in the heart, a reconciled heart, is going to produce fruit. The scripture says in Second Corinthians 5.15, He, being Jesus, died for all, so that whoever might, sorry, <clears throat> so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Whoever might, who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So who are you living for? By what you speak reveals what's in your heart. Following Jesus transforms your life, I can tell you. But it's, it's always our decision to make this call. Jesus is standing, knocking, waiting for you to invite him into your life. It's an invitation you have to make for him to come in and fill your life. The scriptures also say in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He abides in me, and I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's asking you. If you've invited him into your life as your personal Savior, then he wants to produce fruit with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, today's the day to make this decision. Jesus is not wanting to follow you around the place. He's wanting you to obey him. And follow him. We've seen that over and over these last couple of Sundays. He is saying to the men, follow me. He will direct you down that narrow path. He wants to produce fruit with you. He wants your life to be alive with him. I had a couple of calls this week about the quote that I read from Warren Worsby. And people wanted to hear it again. So here it is. It says, Jesus assumed that anybody who lived for eternal values would get into trouble with the world's crowd. Christians are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And sometimes that salt stings and the light exposes sin. Sinners show their hatred by avoiding us or rejecting us, insulting us, physically abusing us, and suing us. When you go out with the word of God, with the fruit of the spirit, and you start to share, it's going to sting those who don't know him. And you know why it stings? Because they actually know it's wrong. Everybody has that sense of good and bad. They know where they're going. And the truth hurts them. It's like another friend of mine used to go grapes. And when they started to form their clusters, he would take his wife's pantyhose and put them over the clusters. So when I went for a walk looking at this, I thought, oh, what's the matter with this guy? Why are you doing this with your wife's pantyhose? But it stopped the flies and certain other insects stinging the grape and killing it, destroying the fruit. He was protecting it. Let's have a look at what Jesus says next, which is very important here. 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me hears and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Are you well built? This is not a physical build. This is a spiritual build. Are you spiritually well built? Is your foundation wide, strong like that orange tree? That you can produce abundance of fruit. Verse 49 says, But the one who has not heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it eclipsed. And the ruin of that house was great. We've got to think about what we're building our foundation on. I have a testimony here I'd like to share with you here, and it says, Have you ever seen a sandcastle built on the beach? And there's a picture there Linda found for me there. When the tide rises and rushes over it, the structure is completely destroyed and washed away. I don't want to face life's trials and struggles by myself. The burden is too heavy to bear. I've tried and failed miserably. My life came crashing down just like a house that was built on the sand. Even though I thought my foundation was strong, it crumbled. Now I look forward to reading and studying God's Word. I am amazed at how much better I can hear Him speak to me. I converse with my Lord throughout the day. I give Him praise. I thank Him on many occasions. And I ask for His wisdom and guidance when I need the answer. My house, that is my life, is built on a solid foundation. Oh, sometimes it shakes a bit, but it does not fall. Christ is my foundation. What about you? Is Christ your foundation here today? Is your house built on a pile of sand that can crumble in an instant? Is your house built on a firm foundation? And that is Christ Jesus. That's your firm foundation. You need it in your marriage. You need it in your family. You need it where in everything that you do. Sometimes these storms as Christians is real. These torrents that burst, come up against you are real. The tribulations you face are real. You're not, you're not because you're a believer, not going to face difficulties in life. You are. But if your foundation is strong, it's great. And if your marriage is strong, great too. Sometimes when I'm under this attack, the storm, Linda's strong. I can grab hold of her. When I'm struggling, she's strong. And, so, and it works the opposite way too sometimes. I am really solid. And Linda is falling apart crying. I can put my arms around her and she can hold on. This foundation is, is, is so important. Christ told us that we, we're not to just talk the talk. We need to walk the walk. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were good at doing the talk. They didn't walk the walk with God. Even though they should have recognized who Jesus was, they totally missed Him, standing right there before us. We have His Word right before us here now. Are we going to miss this opportunity? 
Saving faith is obedient faith. In the book of Hebrews it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Jesus also said, If you love me, Ah, now I know where Linda gets this from. If you love me, you'll do the dishes. If you love me, you'll clean the house. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Do you love Jesus? Then keep his commands. The other side of this challenge coin we're looking at in the scriptures, if you will. It says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. That's the other side. Jesus also says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. This is serious. We should all understand that this is a non-negotiable requirement. Listen to how he has written this. How he has spoken this. He wants us confessing our sin, repenting, changing our ways, trusting him, continually believing in him to do the impossible. Christ, as the only Savior, is necessary for salvation, eternal life. Those that fail in those respects but trust in good works or religious rituals, they're not going to see heaven, no matter how faithful they are in these habits or sincere in their religious beliefs, if you haven't made this personal commitment to Jesus Christ, there is that other path he's told you about. This illustration of Jesus reveals this inescapable consequences of our decision we make today. Verse 47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he's like. dug a deep foundation, a heart searching that makes true repentance and lays a foundation with Jesus Christ. The only salvation. In the rock, we hear this word is used in the Old Testament to refer to God and in the New Testament to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 4 it says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And that rock was Christ. Peter says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's you and I as well. You are an offense to some people. You will cause some to stumble. I remember I used to visit some of my customers, and one guy in particular eventually one day said to me, you know, when you come, I swear more than I should. I don't know what it is that you just bring the worst out of me. So I said to him, well, we better pray before we even open our mouths. But it did. I really saw it. He just would go, and you could see the guilt and everything on him. He was stumbling because of the rock inside of me. Jesus is saying, listen, obey, just do this. Start changing. Live my commands out. Take action. Answer your call. Change. Live. Trust me. You will love it. 
You really will. Things will shake your foundation, but it won't crumble. Build well. Do it well. Everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Everything you say, make sure it's going to glorify God. Listen as well, like that time of silence with Chris today. And that verse he said. Underline that verse that he brought up this morning in Exodus. So let's do this together. Verse 49 says, But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. Let's not do that. What is the point Jesus was making in all of this? To summarize it, your talents, your amount, and your reputation may get you to the top. But if you have built your strong character on these things, you will not stay long. Furthermore, your beliefs may be sincere and line up with what other people around you think. But unless they are founded on God's word, they will fail you when you need them most. Four times in the Bible we read, The just shall live by faith. When the tests of life come, you've got to be able to rise up and say, I am not going to fall apart. I have the rock in my life. I know and I believe God's promises. I am going to pray for God to strengthen me. So what should you do about this? It looks like there's two choices here, two paths to take. First path looks like this. Those that follow false teachers and foolishly build their house on the sand of human achievement, tolerance, compromising the word, will be swept away into hell by the flood of divine judgment. The other choice is, but if you build your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God, the truth, and to be obedient and apply it to your lives, you will not be shaken. You will finish well. And then I thought about how can we all live this out together? If we leave here this morning, listening to what Jesus has said here, asked us to do this. The best any of us can do to help another person's blindness is to invite them to church. Invite them into your lives. Invite them into your homes. I learned so much by visiting people over my years of what they do. I shared what my mentor did some weeks back, how he took care of his wife. I started to apply that to my life. You see, if you invite people to your home, into your lives, give them a meal like Matthew did when he got saved. He invited family and friends to come have a meal to meet Jesus. You're having these people, they'll see that you're not a hypocrite. You're just human. You're living. You're trying to change. And you will be sharing the stories of what God is doing. You will be helping people build spiritual foundations. Help them to understand what life is all about and who is life. Introduce them to the one who can solve problems by being with them. You produce fruit by where you live. And so if you don't have them around you, they're not going to see that. Let's be spiritual leaders of character, opening the Word of God to show them what it says at any given situation. It's, It's... As I said in the first service, this is the tool to use. 
not your cliches or your opinion or your thought. You know, some of these things are not in the Bible that we think are. But if you open the Word of God and say to a person, read that, because that's what God says, not me. What does it say to you now? It impacts them incredibly. The song, The Solid Rock, expresses joyous confidence. I'd like us to pray. Father, we thank you so much for the rock. We thank you for how you have given us your word, the truth. How you've given us your commands to apply to our lives so that we can produce uh, new life in other people, to produce fruit. Lord, it's not easy, but help us to build a solid foundation in the word that our roots would spread deeper and into our families' lives, into our children's lives and into our grandchildren's lives, that this would be a continuous orchard of fruit being built, bringing glory to your name. O Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let us stand on Jesus Christ, his word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'd like to invite